Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. He is risen. Come on with that. Come on with that, kids. Everybody good? Real good. Really, really good. Hey, I want to talk to you this morning out of the Gospel of John. Today's message is called In the Dark. In the Dark. And I'm going to read you pretty much the entire chapter. Can we, can we handle that today? Like long passage. It goes like this. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. The other disciple, of course, is John who wrote this. I love that he puts that in there. (laughs) Who's faster? Well, I am. That's... He stopped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went in. Of course he did. Peter just barges right in. He also noticed the linen, linen wrappings lying there. And while the cloth had, that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. That's hilarious as well. (laughs) Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw the two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other sitting at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The, The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and she cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go and find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them this message. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and on his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, who was nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. 
And they have told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and look at my hands, and put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told them, You believe because you have seen me? Well, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Hey, that's us, by the way. (laughs) That's our passage this morning. John chapter 20. In the dark. How many of you have ever been really surprised before? And not just like someone jumped out from behind a door and scared you surprised, but shocked that something turned out in a way that you had not anticipated. The biggest shock of my life, I think, I think this is the biggest shock of my life, was when my son Seth was born. (laughs) Sorry, I'm going to have to tell a little story on you. Anyway, um... When Heather was pregnant with Seth, we had two ultrasounds that said he was a girl, right? So we had like pink everything, and we only had girl names. We didn't even have a boy name. And then, then he was born, then he was born, and in, in the fashion that only can happen in like that little room, um, he came out, and he just came out peeing everywhere, right? Which drew your eye to certain physical features. And we all realized that he wasn't a girl, but he was in fact a boy. And I remember, and I don't remember things super well sometimes, but I remember that Heather and I both yelled. And it was kind of like, whoa! And then I wrapped him up, and I was instantly crying. And I was crying not because I was happy that he was a boy and not a girl, but just the happiness that comes from having another kid and just the joy of like, you thought it was one thing, but it's another thing, right? Something about that just got all over me and I was so filled with joy. Uh, they had, we had just like clipped him and he wasn't even like, the cheese was still on him and I just <laughs> wrapped him up and I, and I remember I took, there's cheese on babies. Anyway, I took him out to this place where like River and my mom and dad and, and Ray and Candy were there. And I'm holding him in this little blanket. And I said, it's a boy. And my, and my mom says, no, it's not. And I'm like, yes, it is. And she says, I want to see his penis, right? So I just unwrap him and I hold him up. And the whole place is just like, we just, we lost it. Right? We just totally lost it. That's basically Easter surprise. Like you thought it was going to be one thing and turns out it's another thing. And you, you were completely unprepared and unplanned for it. Right? That's basically what it is. 
And that's what the story that John is telling us this morning. But he's doing it in a particular way. And, and the way that John begins us to tell, this, to tell us this story is in the very first verse in chapter 20, he says something very peculiar. And it is a theme that is, that is sown through the rest of this chapter. And it has everything to do with resurrection. And it's this verse. John says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark... Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Okay, let's just take a break here for a second. If it's still dark and if the stone is rolled away, guess who's not in there anymore? Jesus, right? He's not in there anymore. And this is why this is important. This is why it's important. Because if Jesus is not in there anymore, when did the resurrection happen? It happened in the dark. And this is a theme that is woven through the rest of this chapter. And it is really important for us. And I have a feeling it's important for some of us, like actually specifically this morning. You see, resurrection is a work that happens in the dark. Easter is definitely a story that's filled with joy and surprise and laughter and meals But the soil from which it grows is death. You cannot have Easter morning without Good Friday afternoon. And you cannot have Easter morning without the quiet of Holy Saturday. That day when it seems like God is doing nothing. And I would argue that day when he is actually doing nothing. And just to drive this point home, John explicitly says that the stone was rolled away and Jesus was up. And he did all of this while it was still dark. Sometimes Christians rush headlong into Easter not realizing exactly what had happened. And that's forgivable because no one really gets it in the Easter story. No one ever gets it. But resurrection is a work that happens in the dark. Which means that in order to live in the dawn of God's new day, we have to endure a night or two of circumstances we would rather not look at. See, Jesus is the herald of a new day. And He's the model for how things actually work. And here's some truth for everybody that's in the room this morning. We're all going into the dark. Before you ever come into the light, you will go into the dark. Let's put it another way. We're all going to die. Nobody's going to escape. I bet you didn't plan on hearing that on Easter morning. Everybody's going to die No one's going to escape. No one gets the light of dawn until they go into the dark. But before we die our actual and last death, there'll be a thousand smaller deaths. Being Christian doesn't insulate us from pain or disappointment or confusion or sorrow. In fact, it baptizes us right into it. Right through it. Christianity is not a go-around religion. Christianity is a go-through-it religion. Life is great, but it is also extremely difficult. And sometimes we live so deeply in denial. Sometimes we live so deeply in denial as an attempt to lay hold of resurrection. Sometimes we live in denial and we try to lay hold of resurrection. And we try to skirt the gravity of death and disappointment that stares us in the face. And when we do this, the only thing that happens is you and I become less real. We become less human. You ever find somebody who was living in denial and tries to 
deny the actuality of what's really happening. And then they try to sugarcoat it with, well, you know, I'm blessed. God is good. The only thing that does is make you less of a person. It doesn't, in fact, make you more real or God more real. And rather than being people who have been touched with the sweetness of God, we become mannequins covered with a thin layer of saccharin. Resurrection cannot be embraced, cannot be embraced while holding death, weakness, and disappointment at arm's length. See, this is good news. Here's why this is good news. Because what that means is this. Resurrection is not up to you and I. We don't get to manufacture it. You can't. It's one of those things in life that's outside of your control and it's outside of my control. And our part, our part is the waiting. It's the waiting for new life to begin. And when it does begin to emerge, we just go with it. So, according to the text that we read this morning, the first signs of resurrection are always disorientation. Mary Magdalene shows up. There's no body. She's totally confused. How many of you in here have ever had moments in your life when you were confused and disoriented? Here's the good news about that. It's, it could be that that's the first sign of resurrection. Resurrection, the first emerging signs of resurrection are not that you're beginning to get it. The first emerging signs of resurrection are that you totally don't get it. Empty tombs. She returns to get the disciples, Peter and John. They take off running. Peter doesn't get it. John is the first to believe, but he doesn't still yet understand what is going on. And sometimes we think faith is going to take root at this conference or that event that we go to. And sometimes we think that what we need is we need to have a special person pray for us. Or sometimes we think that it will all come together when we pray, for, pray and read our Bible 60 days in a row. And sometimes we think that we'll have faith when we finally get our act together. But most likely, it's going to happen in the dark while we're confused and disoriented. The key is to just go with the faith that we have. The key is to not manufacture anything. We just respond to what God is doing in our lives. And here's the point at which the text gets really good. Because from here on, people are going to start actually meeting the resurrected Jesus. The motif of darkness hangs over even these portions as well. Mary is the first person to meet Jesus. And by the way, this is no small thing, that the very first person who meets the resurrected Lord is a woman. This is so typical Jesus. It's not Peter first. It's not John first. It is none of the other disciples. It is Mary first. Mary first. There's a lot there. We don't have time for it. But I want you to notice the condition of Mary's soul when, when she has a resurrection encounter with Jesus. If we can put it back up, verse 11. What is the condition of Mary's soul when she meets the resurrected Lord? Somebody said it. She was broken. She was weeping. And she was sad. This is the condition of Mary's soul when she meets the resurrected Lord. It is sadness. She is crying. She is heartbroken. John has a little bit of faith. But Mary has none. And by the way, she sees everything that Peter and John saw, and she has no faith. She is heartbroken. 
Nevertheless, faith is not a descriptor that we would use with her sadness. And this is good news as well. Because what that means is, it means that resurrection happens in the darkness of our sadness. Everybody in this room who is broken hearted should listen up. And everybody in this room who is sad should pay attention to the words I'm saying. And everyone who is melancholy and depressed and taking pills should wake up. Because right in the middle of our heartbreak and sadness, and right in the middle of our tears, that's where we meet Jesus. That's where we meet the resurrected Lord. Resurrection is not the denial of our pain, and it is not the denial of our tears. Rather, it is this. It is that God will eventually show up in the middle of them. Especially the sadness that's in our lives that's coming from a place of disappointment. And especially, especially the sadness that's in our lives that is coming from a place of disappointment with God. I hope you notice that in this passage that the breakthrough comes when Jesus calls her name. That's when she recognizes him. It's so loaded. It is so, so loaded. Jesus calls out her name, Mary. Which is to say that in the middle of our pain and disappointment, God knows us. And he doesn't just know us from a distance, but he knows us at close proximity. He knows the actual pain that is in our life. He knows the circumstances. And there's a sense in which that that who we really are, God knows who we really, really, really are. And more than we are broken hearted, when God calls our names, more than we're broken hearted, we are someone who is called out by God. How do we come through being broken hearted? Will we wait? We don't deny. We do not deny. We do not deny. We wait until the day that God calls our no name. Next is the disciples who meet Jesus. The disciples as a group minus two. And we see that resurrection is still happening in the dark. Look at verse 19. Can we put this up? That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. The disciples were in a locked room because they were afraid. And here's essentially what they were afraid of. They were afraid that the Jewish leaders and perhaps some of the government officials were going to come and do to them all the things that had been done to Jesus. It sort of makes sense, right? If they lock Jesus up and if they crucify him there's a pretty good chance that the next one's on their list is us. Makes sense. Jesus was more innocent than a newborn baby, but both the religious elite and the political machinery wanted him dead. And as a side note, the kingdom of heaven is always, always sand in the gears of professional religionists and the politically powerful. And I say that with great trepidation as somebody who is a religious professional. But the fact remains that the disciples were afraid. In fact, the most common phrase that comes out of Jesus' mouth in the resurrection is peace. It's peace. Because there's a sense in which the resurrection, it so upsets the earthly order that there's all kinds of fears that get surfaced. 
And this is good news as well. It's good news because right in the middle of our fears and right in the place where we have lost our backbone and right where we do not have any faith, where we are not thinking about the rest of the world or the mission of God or serving people with the good news of the kingdom and we can't even grab it for ourselves, that's where we meet Jesus. And I love that the Bible says that the doors were locked and Jesus just appears behind them. You see, fear is a lock. It'll keep you isolated. It does not expand your world. It makes it smaller. It'll keep you at home. It'll keep you away from the things that you are really called to do and that you're really called to be. It'll keep you away from people. But one of the things that fear cannot keep you away from is the resurrected Son of God. It can lock out all kinds of things, but it cannot lock out Jesus. He'll just appear behind your walls and your doors of fear. So one of the things that we might want to ask ourselves this morning is, what am I afraid of? What has you under house arrest? What are you not moving into? Especially where are you afraid based on a misunderstanding of Jesus and the message of the kingdom? Where is there trepidation growing in our hearts? Because we realize that if we really do this Jesus thing, it might not lead us towards the fulfillment of the American dream. That's my own fear right there talking. Hey, wherever that is, you might want to look out. Because that's the kind of darkness that resurrection happens in. He'll just show up. He'll just show up right in the middle of your fears. And finally this morning... There's one more note of darkness in the resurrection passage. And it's famous Thomas. Doubting Thomas. I so identify with this guy, by the way. I so identify with him. Jesus shows up to the disciples in this passage. And everybody's there but Thomas. Where is he at, by the way? (laughs) What's this guy doing? And sure enough, sure enough, the disciples tell Thomas what happened, and he says, I don't believe it. Not only does he say, I don't believe it, he says, I won't believe it. I won't believe it. I won't believe it until I can put my finger in his hands, and until I can put my hand in his side, I won't believe it. I won't believe it. Anybody here ever have a hard time believing stuff that's in the Bible? Can I tell you something? You're in good company. You're in good company. Like the disciples, Thomas, one of the main guys. Tons of stuff he, didn't, he couldn't believe, right? And can I tell you something? Jesus doesn't kick him off the team. There's tons of stuff that's in the Bible that I have a hard time believing. Um, there's one thing in particular that I... You know, I buy a lot of it, and then there's one thing I'm like, I don't know. You know, uh, there's this story in the Old Testament. You guys know the story about Samson, and he, and he catches all the foxes. He catches like 300 foxes, and he ties their tails together, lights them on fire, and sends them into the Philistine camp. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, here's I, I've lived in Kentucky my whole life. We have foxes. I've seen like eight in my whole life, and this guy catches hundred. In one night, and he ties their tails together. I don't know. I'm just being honest with you, right? Like, 
there's a ton of I don't know about that. Maybe that's real. I don't know. Maybe he made it up. I, I have I literally have no idea. Some of you are like I'm very uncomfortable with the direction of this meeting. <laughs> Some of you are like I would at least like the guy who's up front to be assured. I'm, I'm here to tell you I don't know. Like that story bothers me. It's always bothered me. It's bothered me for over two decades. You know. The whole, like, divide the water, walk through on dry land, buy it. I, you know? The fox thing, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I posted this thing on the internet yesterday about how Holy Saturday is when God does nothing, right? And instantly, my Facebook feed blows up with, well, it's really, the, it's really the great Sabbath, you know? And it just looks like God is doing nothing. And it's, you know, it's like, isn't, isn't, he's resting, and the rest of God is not, you know, it's not passive, it's active, and all this stuff. And we had this very long theological discussion on my board, and my phone started blowing up as well, with very similar questions, people freaking out. Why were they freaking out? Let me tell you why they were freaking out. Because Christians, who have been Christians for, some of them for over decades, are having a hard time believing that on Saturday, Jesus was dead. (laughs) Don't try that one on for a minute, right? Right. Like, I literally had a conversation with one of the smartest dudes in the vineyard. Like, literally. He teaches at Princeton. And he told me that it took him 20 years to come to the fact that he realized that Jesus was really dead. That he wasn't just, like, spiritually humming underneath a somewhat dead body. Why am I telling you this stuff? Because the truth is, if you're honest and I'm honest and we read this ding-dang book at all, one of the things that you'll come to is you'll realize that at a certain point in your life, you're Thomas. And Jesus shows up and you're like, I don't know. Or God does something in somebody else's life and you're like, I don't know. Right? And again, I hope you notice that it's behind locked doors. Can we put up the Thomas part again? Look, it's behind locked doors. The disciples were the first time behind locked doors and Jesus shows up and he tells them peace, right? I think it's interesting that they go back and tell Thomas everything that's happened. And he's like, I don't believe it, right? And he says, I won't believe it unless I put my hands in his hands and in his side. And look, look, after Jesus has already shown up behind their locked doors once and told them peace... They're behind locked doors again. They're still afraid. And the only thing that's in frame this time is not only their fear, which is implied, but it's also Thomas's doubt. What do fear and doubt do to you? They lock you up. That's what they do to you. But who's the person who comes behind all of your locked doors without touching the doorknob? It's the Son of God. It's in the dark, right in the dark. Fear and doubt. Those are like dark things, right? If we put them on the light spectrum, they're in... I don't know which way that should go. (laughs) But it's on the dark side. It's on the dark side. And this is where resurrection 
happens. Resurrection does not happen in what you believe. Resurrection tends to happen in what you do not believe. Resurrection doesn't tend to happen in what you are confident in. Resurrection happens in what you doubt. Resurrection is not what you are feeling good about. Resurrection happens where you are afraid. Resurrection is not happening where you are happy. Resurrection is happening where you are destroyed. That's where it happens. Good news, people. Good news. Doubt cannot keep out genuine faith. It's a kind of darkness, but it cannot block out the sun. He can rise in the midst of our doubting hearts and show us things too precious for words. He offers his hands and his side, and Thomas touches both. Resurrection turns doubting into intimacy. I love that part. He says, I won't believe it until I touch him. And Jesus shows up behind the locked doors of his own fear and his own doubt. And Jesus says, Thomas, look at this. And the Bible says that Thomas touched him. And somehow, because of the resurrected son, doubting becomes an encounter for intimacy. It's not so much that Jesus touched him, it's that Thomas touched Jesus. And here's what I want you to really notice about all these people who are in John chapter 20. No one did anything necessarily spiritual. No one read their Bible. No one prayed. No one took communion. No one went to a spiritual director. No one had a prayer meeting. No one went to conference. No one met Heidi Baker. No one read a John Wimber book. No one did anything spiritual. I love that. That's really good news. By the way, I believe in doing all those things. (laughs) I do them every day. But no one did them. And it's good news. It's good news because that's grace. That's the grace of God. When you and when I, when we were in darkness... The light of the resurrected son broke through. And this is exactly how John opens up his entire gospel. Light shines in the darkness and darkness can never extinguish it. Darkness can never extinguish it. So what are we going to do this morning? Here's what you do. You bring all of your darkness. You bring all of your death. You bring all of your sadness. You bring all of your fear. You bring all of your doubt. And then you just wait. You just wait, you just wait, you just wait, and you see if the resurrected son is not in the midst of it all. Bring the most painful thing in your life. Bring the thing that makes you the most worried. Bring the thing that makes you the most concerned. Bring the thing that is shredding you to bits, and you just wait. And you just see if the resurrected son is not right in the middle of it. Jesus is always the guy we meet at the bottom of the barrel. Always. Always. When it can't get worse, the person we will meet is Jesus. Every single time. This is one of the reasons why, church, we cannot be people who are neurotically trying to insulate ourselves from every kind of pain. We cannot insulate ourselves from every kind of tragedy. I just want to tell you straight up front, even on Easter morning, bad stuff is probably going to happen to a lot of us before we get out of here. And it, and, and it, and it will not be the mark 
of weak or insecure Christianity when bad stuff happens to us. That is never, never, never the case. Never the case. The mark of true Christianity is in the midst of all of our pain, defeat, and tragedy that we would wait until the resurrected Son of God comes and speaks our name. That's it. Resurrection is not denial. It is not covering up pain with a substance. Resurrection is not an easier way. I just want everybody in here to know this. Resurrection is not an easier way. It was difficult for Jesus. It is difficult. The way of the Spirit is not the easier way. It's false Christianity. It is, it is hogwash. All of that stuff is, is the stuff that's in the prosperity gospel, and it's hogwash. Resurrection is not an easier way. The Holy Spirit is not an easier path. It is not the rewriting of a script. It is the better way because it goes all the way into the heart of darkness. Everything that you're afraid of and you find out that at the bottom of it, that's where Jesus is and he raises it all up. This is why it is an amazing thing that the Son of God was crucified and died. He wasn't merely comatose. He was all the way dead. And when Jesus was all the way dead, the very life of God entered into all of the death and he soaked it all up. He absorbed all of it into himself and he recycled it into never-ending Life. It is not an easier way, but it is a better way. There's a sense in which resurrection is acceptance. There's a sense in which resurrection is a more difficult way with a huge surprise ending. And so what do we do? We do the thing that all Christians do. We wait. That's what we do. We wait. It's the only thing that anybody can ever do. You just wait. You wait. Amen? Amen. This is good news. This is good news. This is actual good news. TV preachers who are telling you that there's an easy way out, don't believe them. They're not telling the truth. Because behind all the cameras and because behind all the lights and the slick and fancy suits, let me tell you what's in their life. Same crap that's in your life. And a whole lot of denial. And it is not a better way. It's not the gospel. The gospel is that the life of God is happening in the most unimaginable places. Did you guys see that thing the other week where, um, where that church in Syria got blown up? And there was literally blood all over the church. Do you see that the next day... The believers who survived, you see what they did? They gathered to worship. Why? Because they have resurrection life on the inside. Come on. Come on. I want to be that kind of Christian. I want to be that kind of Christian. I want to be that kind of person. I want to have that stuff on the inside. And it is available to us because the Spirit gives it liberally. The Spirit gives it liberally. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.